When we speak about the benefits of altruism, bodhicitta, even on a conventional level, we can see the tremendous benefit this sense of cherishing others and caring for others brings. For example, in our own immediate day-to-day -day life, when you have cultivated that kind of cherishing of others, the altruistic intention, there will be an immediate lessening of a sense of fear, insecurity, and suspicion. If you look at fear, insecurity, and suspicion, underlying that is a state of mind, an attitude where you tend to be suspicious of others, where you look at others as a source of antagonism or as a source of threat. Whereas someone who naturally aspires for happiness naturally wishes to overcome suffering just like us, and on that basis you are able to relate to others and develop a sense of concern for others, then clearly that has an immediate effect of releasing the grip on those other emotions, like stress, tension, fear, suspicion, insecurity, and so on. You can see that altruism, cherishing others, concerned with others, really has an immediate effect on creating a sense of ease and joy within oneself. One can be mentally more joyful. One will have sounder sleep. And one can even say that one's enjoyment of food improves. You can enjoy the taste more, and this is really tr very true. In a sense, as a byproduct in engaging in altruistic action and cultivating a temporary interest of getting greater happiness or the long-term interest of gaining full awakening, it is all the function and the result of altruism. Eventually, you will also be able to bring about the welfare of other sentient beings as well. This is what we need to do, look at our own experience. Even on the level of the path, although the wisdom realizing emptiness is very important, what makes the realization of emptiness, that wisdom, become a path, a factor, a cause for the attainment of Buddhahood, is again a function of bodhicitta. Without bodhicitta, the wisdom realizing emptiness cannot become a cause for the attainment of full Buddhahood. We can see the role of bodhicitta and altruism is very crucial. First, reflect upon the benefits of the altruistic mind, and what is contrary to that is an attitude rooted in self-centeredness and excessive self-preoccupation, which is really the source of all problems. Up until now, through our successive lifetimes, we have lived our lives in a way in which we are imprisoned by this excessive self-preoccupation. What you need to do now is reflect on the benefits of reversing this and cultivate a mind cherishing the welfare of all, sentient of all other sentient beings. And also, aim to seek to bring about the highest welfare of other sentient beings, which is the attainment of Buddhahood by all beings. Towards that end, generate the aspiration that I seek the attainment of Buddhahood for the benefit of all sentient beings. That was from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So the last two weeks, the reviews by Venerable Damcho and Venerable Jampo 
were about creating bodhicitta by meditating on cause and effect. This week, we're going to review the meditation of equalizing and exchanging self and others, and this is the other way of creating bodhicitta. Okay. So now we'll actually begin proper. So in the space in front, imagine all of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas in front of ourselves, surrounded by all sentient beings who are exactly like us, wanting happiness and not wanting suffering. All these beings who have been and will continue to be extremely kind to us, upon whom our very lives depend. Now we'll do the abbreviated recitations. Namo Guru Bya Namo Buddhaya Namo Dharmaya Namo Sangaya Namo Gurubhya Namo Buddhaya Namo Dharmaya Namo Sangaya Namo Namo Buddhaya Namo Dharmaya Namo Sangaya I take refuge until I have awakened in the Buddha, Siddharma, and the Sangha. By the merit I create, by engaging in generosity and the other far-reaching practices, may I attain Buddhahood in order to benefit all sentient beings. I take refuge until I have awakened in the Buddha, Siddharma, and the Sangha. By the merit I create, by engaging in generosity and the other far-reaching practices, may I attain Buddhahood in order to benefit all sentient beings. I take refuge until I have awakened in the Buddha, Siddharma, and the Sangha. By the merit I create, by engaging in generosity and the other far-reaching practices, may I attain Buddhahood in order to benefit all sentient beings. May all sentient beings have happiness and its causes. May all sentient beings be free of suffering and its causes. May all sentient beings not be separated from sorrowless bliss. May all sentient beings abide in equanimity, free of bias, attachment, and anger.
Reverently I prostrate with my body, speech, and mind, and present clouds of every type of offering, actual and mentally transformed. I confess all my destructive actions accumulated since beginningless time, and rejoice in the virtues of all holy and ordinary beings. Please remain until cyclic existence ends, and turn the wheel of Dharma for sentient beings. I dedicate all the virtues of myself and others to the Great Awakening. This ground anointed with perfume, flowers strewn Mount Meru, for land, sun, and moon, imagined as a Buddha land and offer to you, may all beings enjoy this pure land. The objects of attachment, aversion, and ignorance, friends, enemies, and strangers, my body, wealth, and enjoyments, I offer these without any sense of loss. Please accept them with pleasure and inspire me and others to be free from the three poisonous attitudes. Idam Guru Ratnam Mandala Kam Triami Glorious and precious Root Guru, sit upon the lotus and moon seat on my crown, guiding me with your great kindness. Bestow upon me the attainments of your body, speech, and mind. The eyes through whom the vast scriptures are seen, supreme doors for the fortunate who would cross over to spiritual freedom, illuminators whose wise means vibrate with compassion. To the entire line of spiritual mentors, I make request. Kaya ta muni muni maha muni soha. Tayata Muni Muni Maha Muni Soha 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 Tayata Muni Muni Maha Muni Soha
Now, think to yourself, O Guru Deity, please inspire me and all sentient beings to generate the precious bodhicitta that cherishes others more than ourselves. It is not right to cherish myself and abandon others because we are all equal in our desire for happiness and our wish to avoid suffering. Hence, I need to cherish others as I cherish myself. For just as being treasured by others pleases me, so will others be pleased when I treasure them. Moreover, even though I wanted to attain excellent results for myself, since beginningless time in samsara, I have cherished myself and accomplished nothing for the sake of others. As a result, I have experienced only myriads of misery. Consequently, self-centeredness has been the source of all my misfortunes, the dukkha of samsara, of the lower realms, and so forth. Since preventing future self-centeredness from arising, overcoming present self-centeredness, and cherishing others are the sources of all good qualities, may I generate the attitude, cherishing others, that I currently lack. May whatever I have grow stronger. Guru Deity, please inspire me to be able to do so. In response to your requesting, the Guru Deity, five colored light and nectar stream from all parts of his body into you through the crown of your head. It absorbs into your mind and body and those of all sentient beings. It purifies all your negativities and obstructions accumulated since beginningless time and especially purifies all illnesses, spirit interferences, negativities, and obstructions that interfere with generating the precious bodhicitta by which you cherish others more than yourself. Your body becomes translucent, the nature of light. All your good qualities, lifespan, merit, and so forth, expand and increase. Think in particular that a superior realization of the precious bodhicitta, by which you cherish others more than yourself, has arisen in your mind stream and in the mind stream of others.
So, yeah. When we did the seven-point cause and effect, we started with equanimity, because that's the basis. But we did that equanimity to develop a sense of equality between friend, enemy, and stranger, to reduce our own attachment, aversion, and apathy. With the meditation on equalizing self and others begins with equalizing, which is a little bit different than equanimity. Because equalizing self and others means not only are friend, enemy, and stranger equal, but we and others are equal as well. Because with equanimity, you could have friend, enemy, and stranger more equal, but I'm still queen of the hill. <laughs> this one is, no. Myself and everybody, whether I like them or don't, it doesn't matter. We're all equal in the sense that we all want happiness and not want suffering, and we're all deserving of happiness. So venerable children talk taught about the nine-point meditation on equalizing self and others. So does anybody remember what the nine points are? What are the first three, and what are they based on? Point of view of others. Point of view of self is the second one. So we'll go over those. So the, of the nine points, the first six are based on conventional truth. And the first one is the point of view of others. The first point is that everybody wants happiness and not suffering equally. Jeffrey Hopkins in Cultivating Compassion, used a book from you, said, sometimes when the Dalai Lama says that we all want happiness and do not want suffering, this seems to be a platitude, not worth saying. But it is worth saying. Contemplating and making into a meditation. Because we don't remain in constant recognition that just as I want happiness, because we don't re and don't want suffering, so you want happiness and you want, don't want suffering. Rather, you might think, Oh yes, I want happiness and don't want suffering. And yes, these people want happiness and don't want suffering. Yes, of course. But all too often, our next thought is, how can they serve me? So Jeffrey says, my usual habits draw me into thinking. How can you serve my quest for pleasure and my quest to get rid of pain? And then he says, that's not right. If I, but if I remember that I want happiness and don't want suffering, and you equal, equally have the same aspiration, I cannot possibly ask you to serve me. If gaining happiness and getting rid of suffering are worthwhile for me, then they're worthwhile for everyone equally. So that's what Jeffrey said. So everyone wants happiness and not suffering equally is the first point. Venerable Children said that we cannot find one logical argument to prove somehow that we want happiness and to avoid suffering more than anybody else. We may live our life as if we think that way. In fact, we do live our life like that. We live our life by my happiness is more important than anybody else's. My suffering hurts more. 
But in actual fact, is that the case? No. no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we do act as if we expect everybody in the environment to stop whatever they're doing and help us with suffering. I'm the queen of the universe, and everybody's got to do what I want them to do. And if they don't, so we're so focused on our own needs, our own feelings, I want, I don't like. She said that we're adult bodies, behavior like two-year-olds. Is this true? Yes. So she gave us a little hint. She said, do this meditation when you're walking around. Just walking up the hill, walking from one building to the other. Instead of thinking about yourself, spend your time thinking, everybody wants to be happy and not suffer as much as I do. She says it's especially helpful with people who drive you up the wall. They don't want to suffer, and you really don't want them to suffer. As Buddhists, that's where, yeah. Okay, so that's the first point. Everybody wants to be happy, and nobody wants to suffer. So what's the second point, the point of view from others? Yeah. Wanting to be happy, different kinds of happiness. They may want different things, but just like homeless people all want to be happy. We're all sentient beings in the same way. We might have different ways to be happy, but we all want to be happy. It's not proper to have more empathy or understanding for some beggars and not want to give them something more than others. So that doesn't mean you have to give to all the beggars, because that's obviously impossible. And sometimes I hear in India, you get risk getting trampled on if you give to one and don't have enough for the others. But in your mind, you can look at everybody, looking at a bunch of, a, a group of beggars and favoring some of the others isn't right because everybody wants something. Everybody needs something different. They may need different things, and in that way, we're all beggars, aren't we? We all need different things. People in one country may need one thing, and people in another may need another. We seem to have wars about that. In our mind, the goal is to see them as equally worthy and equally on par with ourselves, too. So what's the third one? Third point of point of view from others. about the patients to alleviate the suffering of some more than wanting to alleviate the sufferings of others. We don't want to do that. On a practical level, we may help the people who have greater suffering, or we may help the people who are suffering, that we have a greater ability to help. But at least in our mind, we try to equalize the thoughts of them there. And in some way, if there's a lot of people who are sick, it's not right to prefer some and not like others. Because everybody is equally sick, and everybody equally needs help. Again, on a practical level, you may help somebody who needs immediate attention quicker than you might help somebody else. But on an emotional level, to see everybody, ourselves and all these different people as equal, 
That's the way we're, we're trying to do it. Everybody wants happiness, doesn't want to suffer, and so not to neglect anybody. That is the sense of looking at others. So those are the first three. Next one is the point of view of ourselves. So we're going to go over the three points that go over the point of view of ourselves. What's the first one? close. Thinking everybody, friends, enemies, and strangers, have been kind to us in the past, present, and future. We want to think of them as how they are equal in the viewpoint of ourselves. All sentient beings have been kind to us in the past, present, and future, so we should help everybody equally. This point if you have fear, suspicion, anxiety, meditate a lot on this point. Everybody has been kind to us in the past, is being kind to us in the present, and will be kind to us in the future. She, Venerable Chosen said, if you meditate consistently on this point of others being kind to us, guaranteed you will change. But you have to do it, and that doesn't mean just doing it one day. You have to do it consistently over a period of time. And then she says, it really changes our perspective. So that was the first point. What's the second one? If, if we think that they have harmed us, remember that the kindness they have shown us is much, much more than the harm they have done us. So the when the point comes up, but they've harmed me, and then what you want to think is that the thought that comes, the amount that they've helped me far exceeds the times that they've harmed me. And really think about it. The harm I received actually is quite little compared to the benefit that I have received. We may complain, but the kindness far outweighs the times that we were aggravated. Really think that the amount of harm that we have received compared to the amount of benefit that we have received. Think about it. There's no comparison. From this life, previous lives, and future lives. And here we're thinking not only about the kindness of friends, but also about the kindness of strangers and the kindness of enemies people who disturb us and bother us. Sometimes it's because we've been disturbed and unhappy, and that's the reason we go out and seek the, the Dharma. That's a pretty good reason, you know? So that means they've helped us really a lot. Really think about the kindness of people who have even betrayed our trust. Looking back on the difficulties we've had in life and the people involved in them, all those difficulties have made us tap into resources in ourselves or develop resources in ourselves that we never would have otherwise. Is this true? Yeah. I, I think it is. Yeah. Although I'm probably still not ready to forgive them. <laughs> so what's the last one? The next one. There you go. 
Considering that we and others are going to die, what use is there to hold a grudge against anybody? So when you hold a grudge, who suffers? We do. We do. So what's the use of holding a grudge? Who wants to take grudges with us when we die? Who wants to die with a mind of anger and hatred and resentment? For your own happiness, we have to get rid of the grudges. We can also reflect that we are all struggling. Not only am I struggling with this, but the person who harmed me is also struggling with it. We're all trying to figure out our way. And we're all overwhelmed by ignorance in cyclic existence. Why do we expect sentient beings who are overwhelmed by ignorance in cyclic existence to do wise things? Why do we expect them never to betray our trust? Why do we expect people to always do what we want them to do? When they're overwhelmed by ignorance, anger, and attachment, don't we have just a little bit of unrealistic expectation? Isn't it our expectation that causes, it's causing a lot of our suffering? So those were the six that were based on the conventional truth. Now we'll go over the ones that are based on the ultimate truth. So, what's the first one? Mm. Ultimate truth. Mm. Say that again? Mm, that's not quite the first one. If friends, enemies, and strangers really existed like that from their own side, good, bad, and indifferent, the Buddha would also see them that way. The Buddha doesn't. So the Buddha looks at those same people, friend, enemy, and stranger, that we give them those labels, and he sees something completely different from what we see. The people that we think are so wonderful, they're going to make me happy eternally. The Buddha sees as a sentient being plagued by ignorance, anger, and attachment. The stranger that we walk by, apathetic, not caring. The Buddha sees a kind mother sentient being raised them in so many previous lives. The person we see as an enemy, most cruel, horrible, despicable person that ever walked the face of the earth, the Buddha looks at them with loving kindness. So if our perceptions were real, and people existed like this from their own side. Everybody else, including the Buddha, would see them in the same way as friend, enemy, and stranger. 
but they don't. So what's the next one, number two, for ultimate truth? The other one. Friend, enemy, and stranger. If they were truly existent, they couldn't change roles at all. But we see that they change roles all the time. Person who was our friend today could be our enemy tomorrow. Everybody seems to start out as a stranger and moves into either the friend or the enemy category, and they don't stay there. When we put somebody in the friend and enemy category, we don't need much evidence. We just take a few characteristics and ascribe them to that person and think that's who they're going to be forever. If people were like that from their own side, then they can never change roles. But they change roles all the time, don't they? Shake your head, yes. <laughs> Things turn on a dime, and the category we put in, people in changes on a dime, sometimes literally. Okay, and now the third one. Self and other are merely designated like this side of the valley and that side of the valley. And I always really like that analogy. It makes it really clear. I and others depend on each other and are merely labeled. From that viewpoint, there's no reason to be attached to what we call I. Because I can equally refer to anybody else. And other can equally refer to me. This is where it gets funny. So, so hang in there. There's no inherent me, and there's no inherent you. When you think about this, when I hear the word I, it's like I am here and you are there. But when you hear the word I, I is there and you are here. When you hear the word I, I is there, and you are here. Okay, so we got that one right. An example, the other side of the valley, this side of the valley and the other side of the valley. It all depends on which side you're standing on as to this side and the other side. These two things depend on each other, and they are not fixed. Even if we say, I want happiness, it's not right to think that I refers to oneself. Because I want happiness is said by every living being, even if they don't say it in so many words. So if I want happiness, if something I endorse and something I think should happen, then whenever anybody says, I want happiness, I should endorse it and it should happen. Shouldn't it? And if I think you're somebody else, you're other, I don't care about you, what happens to you, then whenever somebody else says other, others don't matter, I should think this one also doesn't matter. Because from the perspective of other people, this one is other. 
sadness. <laughs> so from that perspective, what right do I have to stand up and say, you got to pay attention to me. You got to do it my way. If I'm saying others are second class, and others are saying others are second class, why am I complaining when that second class refers to me? <laughs> so this thing, whole thing of I and other is completely dependent on which side of the valley you're standing on. So, not inherently existent I, not inherently existent other. When you really think about that deeply, then there's no reason why my happiness is more important than others and my suffering hurts more than others. There's absolutely no reason for that. Because it's what is called my depends on who's saying the word. The point of all this is that not only is there no reason to discriminate between different people, but there's no reason to discriminate between self and others. Holding self more important than others is less important. Okay. <laughs> there's no reason to discriminate between self and others. There's no reason to hold yourself more important than others and others less important. Okay. And then the mind says, yeah, but when somebody hits this body, I feel pain. So therefore, I have more right to protect this body because I feel the pain from it. The answer is, that's just because of habit. Because you are so habituated to this being me. Yeah, Entitlement, okay, it's a good thing. If you're practicing equalizing and exchanging self and others, then you're also taking, practice taking the noun, my or mine or I, and putting it on others. This body isn't yours. It came from your mother and your father and all the farmers who grew the food out there. It's not yours. You only say mine out of habit. And then Venerable put in capital letters, think about that one. So I'll let you think about that on your own. Okay? So, we shall now review the nine points we, of equalizing of this meditation. The six points based on conventional truth. The first three were viewpoints of others. Everybody wants happiness and not suffering equally. It's not proper to have more empathy or understanding for some beggars and want to give them something more than others. And about the patience to alleviate the suffering of some more than wanting to alleviate the suffering of others is not the way we want to do it. Next three are the viewpoint from the viewpoint of self thinking everybody, friends, enemies, and strangers, have been kind to us in the past, present, and future. If, next one, if we think that they have harmed us, remember their kindness that they have shown us. It is much, much more. And considering that we and others are going to die, what use is there to hold a grudge against anybody? And then the three reasons based on ultimate truth. If friends, enemies, and strangers really existed like that from their own side, good, bad, and indifferent. The Buddha would also see them that way, and he does not. Friend, enemy, and stranger. If they were truly existent, they couldn't change roles at all, but we, but we see that they change roles all the time. 
And the last one, I and others depend on each other and are merely labeled. From that viewpoint, there's no reason to be attached to what we call I, because I can equally refer to anybody else, and other can equally refer to me. So now, we're going to do a meditation on equalizing self and others. So, in the space in front, imagine all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas in front of ourselves and ourselves surrounded by all sentient beings who are exactly like us, wanting happiness and not wanting suffering. All these beings who have been and will continue to be extremely kind to us upon whom our lives depend. The purpose of this meditation is to feel that we and others are completely similar and it is suitable to help all sentient beings equally. think all beings wish to be happy and avoid suffering just as intensely as we do.
think that ten beggars need ten different things, just as everyone needs different things equally. Think of ten patients who all suffer from different illness, but all want to be cured. The same as all of us have different problems, but we all want to be free of them. Everyone equally wants to be comfortable. It's unfair to focus only on our own comfort.
reflect upon the kindness that we have received from all sentient beings. Compare the harm that we have received versus the help that we have received from all sentient beings. and somebody harmed us, it is possible that they didn't mean to harm us, but they were trying to help us, and it was misinterpreted by us.
don't hold a grudge. When we think, think about a grudge, we remember it over and over. This is just one incident, and yet we harm ourselves over and over when we think about it. Free all the anger and hatred, and reach out in a kind way. The relationship of friend, enemy, and stranger changes all the time. Buddha doesn't see one person as more valuable than others. The distinction between self and others is a nominal title, this side of the valley versus the other side, I and other. 
try to let go of the attitude that you, yourself, is more important than other. There is no reason to cherish ourself more than others. Now think to yourself, it is not right to cherish myself and abandon others because we are all equal in our desire for happiness and our wish to avoid suffering. Hence, I need to cherish others as I cherish myself. For just as being treasured by others pleases me, so will others be pleased when I treasure them. Moreover, even though I want to attain excellent results for myself, since beginningless time in samsara, I have cherished myself and accomplished nothing for the sake of others. As a result, I have experienced only myriads of misery. Consequently, self-centeredness has been the source of all my misfortunes, the dukkha of samsara, of the lower realms, and so forth. Since preventing future self-centeredness from arising, overcoming present self-centeredness, and cherishing others are the sources of all my good qualities. May I generate the attitude cherishing others that I currently lack. And may whatever I have grow stronger. Guru Deity, please inspire me to be able to do so. In brief, Buddha attained complete Buddhahood by abandoning self-centeredness, cherishing others, and devoting himself exclusively to their welfare. By following his example, I too will attain Buddhahood very soon. Having failed to do so, until now I have wandered in samsara. As long as I continue to harbor self-centeredness within me, I will not be able to cultivate cherishing others, or if I do, I will not manage to maintain that attitude. Thus, may the thought that is preoccupied with myself and abandons others not arise in me even for an instant. May I give up my selfish concern and treasure others, entirely take upon myself other sentient beings, dukkha and negativities, and offer others all my happiness and goodness. Thus may I ensure that all sentient beings are free of dukkha and attain great happiness. Presently, I lack the ability needed to do the, this. If you ask who has it, it is a complete and perfect Buddha. Thus may I attain the state of complete and perfect Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings, my mothers. Guru Deity, please inspire me to be able to do so. In response to your requesting, the Guru Deity, a duplicate of the Guru Deity's body, comes from him into you through the crown of your head, like one butter lamp lighting another. It dissolves into you. Imagine yourself on a precious throne, both high and wide, 
supported by eight great lions on a seat of multicolored lotus and sun and moon discs in the form of the conqueror Shakyamuni with a body the color of pure gold, a crown protuberance on your head, one face and two hands. The right touches the earth. The left in meditation posture holds an envelope full of nectar. You are elegantly robed in the three saffron colored monastic robes. You sit in Vajrapasta in a flood of light emanating from your body, which is made of pure light and adorned with the signs and marks of a Buddha. Visualizing yourself thus, says the Buddha, emanate your body, belongings, and virtue in the form of five colored light and nectar and offer them to all sentient beings. Imagine that all sentient beings thereby attain the excellent happiness of upper rebirth and the highest good of liberation and full awakening. So from those verses, it's clear that we have to lessen our self-centered thought before we can cherish others. And that's a, an important thing to remember. Because sometimes we really get, we really like doing the, the meditation on love. It makes us feel good about us, ourselves and others. But without have, first having reduced our self-centeredness, then our love really is not so potent. Maybe just a good, a feel-good experience for us. Whereas when we have looked at our own self-centeredness and self-preoccupation, then it can be, that can be quite an ordeal. Really hard sometimes. Yeah. To own up to what's really going on in our mind, it's very humbling. Sometimes it's scary. So, so we really have to look at getting rid of our self-centered attitudes. Now, some people have translated the word as self-cherishing. We don't want to do that. We want to use the word self-centered because that seems to be more appropriate. So now we're going to look at exchanging self for others. And we use, we use equalizing ourselves and others as the basis of this meditation, which is equalizing and exchanging self and others. And from there we build on it. We think of the faults of the self-centered mind, and then we think of the benefits of cherishing others, and then we exchange self and others, and then we do the taking and giving meditation. So there are four areas that people get stuck on. These four areas have a lot of attachment for us. Does anybody remember what they are? Wanting to be comfortable. Wanting to be loved and praised and have a good reputation. Wanting to win. And wanting to be right. Yeah. So, in terms of karma, have you ever committed any destructive action for the benefit of others? 
No, no, no. Every time. Yeah. Every time you've killed, taken what hasn't been freely given, lied to others, slept around, screamed that other people made fun of them, idle talk, malicious, coveting, wrong views, all of them, that Venerable Tarp went over. Did you do anything, any of them, for the benefit of sentient beings? No. Did you do those based on self-centeredness? Yes. It's a confused kind of self-centeredness, thinking, if I do these actions, it'll bring me happiness. Because we are so confused about what the cause of happiness is, and what the cause of suffering is. And we think, if I get what I want, then I will have happiness. If I need to scream at some people to get what I want, it's worth it. It's okay. If I have to lie to people to get what I want, then that will help me be happy. Okay. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Sleeping around. <laughs> that will help me be happy, won't it? Taking things that don't belong to me, as long as I don't get caught. That will bring me happiness. So whenever we get involved in the ten destructive paths of action, it always has a self-centered mind underlying it. It's always thinking about what's going to make me happy immediately and being very confused about what the cause of happiness is. And when we look at the destructive karma that we create, it brings rebirth in the lower realms. Who's responsible for it? Our old buddy self-centeredness. The self-centered thought is so deceptive. It's this little voice saying, listen to me and I will lead you to happiness. But when we listen to the self-centeredness, it makes us do things that backfire and make us more unhappy. It causes a lot of problems in our life, this self-centeredness. Yeah? So if we think of all the negative karma that we've created, that's going to ripen in horrible reverse in the future, we've created them all out of self-centeredness. This mind whispering in our ear, listen to me and I'll give you happiness. Is this mind really our friend? No. No. It's the A1 worst enemy. And it's so deceptive because it pretends to be our friend. But the whole time it's lying to us and cheating us. So the self-centeredness makes us destroy relationships that are most important to us in our life. It does all kinds of bad things. So Venable Tarper talked about suicide. She said it was the most self-centered thing you can do. And I can attest to that. Right before I came here, one of the people I worked with, her husband committed suicide. Now, she has two little girls. They have to live with the fact that their father committed suicide. The one thing I don't understand, he was a preacher. Go figure. Okay? It means you do not care about all the people who care about you. At that moment, all you care about is your own suffering. That's extremely self-centered. Now, people who commit suicide are not bad. It's just what self-centered drives... The self-centered mind drives us to. It drives us to hurt the people that we most care about. Is anybody else? Okay. Yeah. The self-centered mind doesn't think about connections. 
that doesn't think I live in a society where I am so totally interconnected and interrelated with everybody else. That there are people, if there are people in society who are unhappy, that it's going to affect me. It doesn't see that when the people around are quarreling, that makes us unhappy. If everybody around us is fighting and quarreling, even though we're not involved, are we going to be happy? No. No. If we're able to do something to help other people so that they wouldn't quarrel and fight so much, that would bring us happier life, wouldn't it? Yeah. So here's where we see how interdependent we are. When we think only of ourselves, we actually bring more pain and suffering and unhappiness to ourselves. When we think of others and wish for the best of the others, then their own pain and suffering gets remedied in the process. Then our pain and suffering gets remedied also in the process. But we don't always do that, do we? We, make, we try and make, we want to now talk about um, cherishing others. But we have to do it in a, in a good way. There are four ways of trying to be a benefit to others. Does anybody remember what they are? Four times. Well, if you, if you gotta get to do an action, if it's time for you to do an action for somebody, do you do it or do you don't, not do it? Oh, just the one at the short, short benefit, mm -hmm. uh, long-term benefit, yep. long-term short harm, short-term harm, long-term benefit, long-term harm, long-term harm. Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, short-term benefit, long-term benefit. If, if it brings immediate benefit and long-term benefit, meaning you create some good karma that will bring good rebirth or liberation or awakening, if it creates happiness now and long-term benefit, you definitely do it. If it's short-term misery and long-term misery, you definitely don't do it. If it creates short-term benefit and somebody's happy, but long-term misery, don't do it. This is where we often get stuck, but we do it anyways. If it brings short-term misery, but long-term benefit, then do it. We get stuck on this one too. So we really have to think about the long-term benefits of it when we make a decision. So that's the second part of it. The self-centered mind and then or equal. yeah. So we've done equanimity, we've done equalizing self and others, and we've looked at the disadvantages of the self-centered mind. Then the next one is cherishing others. And to cherish means to protect and care for somebody lovingly. Everybody's got their own version of that word, lovingly. So when we look at cherishing others, it is a source of happiness. Look at the kind of karma we create when we cherish others. Look at how they feel when we cherish them. Look at how we feel when we cherish them. And look at the long-term benefit. So this is where the cherishing you know, comes in, you know, long-term, short-term. But sometimes if you please somebody, another person is going to be really upset. You have to really see what is best for the greatest number of people in the long-term. And then you yourself Sometimes you have to deal and sit through discomfort that you made somebody because somebody is not liking you. 
because they're upset at you because you made a decision that in your eyes was for the benefit of them, a long-term benefit for the group of people. But you had in mind that you were cherishing others, so you were doing the right thing. So that leads us to exchanging self and others. And that doesn't mean I become you and you become me and I get your bank account and you get my bank account. These are Venerable Children's words. And everybody knows it. It means we're exchanging what the referent of those words are. So instead of the referent of the word I being here, I is over there. Because all of the viewpoints, everybody's got their own viewpoint of I. And the referent of the word you over there actually becomes you over here. Because of the rest of the world, this is you. I'm you. And when we say my happiness is most important, as we often say, it means all of these eyes. The happiness of all these other eyes is most important. This person is you to everybody else in the universe. This person is you to everybody else in the universe except one person. So you exchange what that means. And then once you you've exchanged self and others, and then you go on and you do tonglen, taking the given meditation. And on the basis of saying my happiness is most important, meaning there, and your happiness is not so important, meaning here, my suffering hurts a lot, your suffering doesn't hurt so much. Then when you do the taking and giving meditation, you get a very different perspective. Okay, so you did... Um, Equalizing self and others. And you did cherishing or looking at your own self-centered attitude. Then you did cherishing self and uh, cherishing other people. And then you did exchanging self and others. And then you did Tonglen. So before you do Tonglen, in order to make it have a really strong effect, you really have to do the equanimity meditation and equalizing meditation thinking of the disadvantages of self-centeredness and the benefits of cherishing others and exchanging self and others. A lot of people, they don't do that. They just want to sit down and do Tonglen. But if you go through and you do each of those ones before, then your Tonglen will be so much more effective for you. I mean, the feeling of love and compassion will just grow and grow and grow, and it makes it even better. And those are the ones that lead you to bodhicitta. And that's where we're all trying to get to. And bodhicitta is the primary mind with two aspirations. The aspiration to benefit others. And then because of that aspiration, the aspiration to attain Buddhahood. And that's what we want to do. Attain Buddhahood so that we can be a benefit to all sentient beings. So... What the Dharma is trying to teach us in terms of this self-centered mind is of I want, I want. Is that we are very insignificant because there are all these other eyes that are wanting. But, don't, go, don't leave with that thought. In terms of having the potential to become a Buddha, or having Buddha nature, or having a precious human life, then in that regard, we are all quite important. We have to change the way we think we are important. Okay, and now I'm done. Yay. Any questions, comments, suggestions? No bad-mouthing the teacher. <laughs>
Now, if I can talk tomorrow, we'll be doing good. <laughs> Due to this merit, may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow. May that born have no decline, but increase forevermore. In the snowy mountain pure land, you're the source of good and happiness. Powerful Tenzing Gatso Chenrezig, may you stay until samsara ends. May the spiritual teachers who lead me on the sacred path and all spiritual friends who practice it have long life. May I pacify completely all outer and inner hindrances. Grant such inspiration, I pray. May the lives of the venerable spiritual mentors be stable and their virtuous action spread in the ten directions. May the light of love songs teachings dispelling the darkness of the beings in the three worlds always increase. May the deeds of explaining and practicing the Dharma done by groups supporting the teachings and their upholders who spread the view of dependent arising and nonviolent actions in the ten directions and especially at Shravasti Abbey in the West Flourish.